There are a couple of little subgroups on Twitter that I just find to be some of the... I, I don't really mean any shade with this. I guess I do, but um, the most strange individuals on the internet uh you know there's, there's like the nft people and then just uh whoever else on there is like really fucking weird uh the elon musk super fans they kind of scare me um but i guess congrats on your boy getting that time person of the year award i guess um I, I think the person of the year was the guy who's really into trains. Um, fuck, I have to explain what that means, right? Uh, the guy who's really into railroad trains in the UK. Like, that's what I mean by trains. Uh, actually, no, I lied. My person of the year is Trey Young, simply because he's responsible for that side talk video of Spider-Man going around after a Knicks game and talking to people after they just got their asses dusted. That was fucking cool. Uh, yeah, Trey Young's that dude. Anyways... Uh, so this is the third part of my series where I go over my top 50 records of 2021. So on Monday, I talked about records 50 to 41. Yesterday was about the 40 to 31 records. And then this part is going to cover records 30 to 21. So yeah, thanks everybody. Enjoy this part. Number 30 is This Is How The World Ends by Bad Flower. This is some of the scariest shit I've ever been exposed to in my life. This is the most unhinged, unstable, demented record of the year, and I love that for it. I absolutely adore all of the malevolent elements that make up This Is How The World Ends. There were two non-record singles to Bad Flower's name over the last, like, year and a couple months, I think. Um, 30 and Fuck The World. Both were incredible songs, and I was kind of surprised that they ended up not being part of this larger project. So that meant that the actual cycle for This Is How The World Ends began when Family dropped at the start of July. I think it was the start of July. Um, I talked about Family quite a bit when I mentioned it in the Top 100 Song series, but I will just say again, Family is one of the most like unnerving tracks I've ever listened to in my life. The level of uncomfortability found in it is like really, really astounding, and then... Um, that's not where Batflower ended with like that, um, almost like this excitement on their part to just like make the listener feel emotions that they didn't know were within them or they didn't really want to reach a surface level. And I think a big part of that effect comes from how the vocalist of Batflower, Josh Katz, is so willing to put himself out there in the most unsettling manner as possible. So the opening song, Adolescent Love, here's the first verse to it. I was only a boy, I looked younger than the others, only hair on my head and voice just like my mother's, so I stayed quiet and fully clothed, and this girl in my grade, I would dream her in my covers, after saving her from the cruelty of her father, though her father wasn't cruel at all. 
I am of the belief that with This Is How The World Ends, Josh cemented himself as one of the standout storytellers of the year. Um, so here, another song on here, She Knows, it's a very, like, um, like, not really a slower song, but it just has, like, this weird, um, almost muted nature to it that is able to kind of, like, uh, explode and become more vibrant in certain areas, but for the most part, it's just, like, very, very laid back, but then lyrically, you're just kind of, like, forced to hear this story that is so just, like, tormenting. She's crying, I feel the tensions rising, inside I'm scheming, anything to stop her leaving, does she know my secret, did someone leak it, sometimes I get scared, but I'm faithful, I swear. I kind of went in depth on Stalker with the Top 100 Songs series, uh, what I'm gonna say now though is that Stalker, I think, is the best example on this record of, like, not only the storytelling that I've been talking about, but also that uncomfortable feeling that, like, just kind of makes your skin crawl and, like, gives me like chills um it's so just like dark and um like like right in your face because there's nothing about stalker that is like kind of masked in metaphors josh says everything that he needs to just like straight up front and it's again one of those kinds of songs where i'm just like left speechless but i keep going back to it it's a weird weird song like really really fucking weird i shouldn't like it to the extent that i do but I do. And maybe that's kind of like the overall theme that's happening here with This Is How The World Ends. This is not really a record that somebody like myself who can identify with a lot of these themes way, way too much. Um, I shouldn't like this record as much as I do, but there's just something about the way Batflower laid out this record and the execution of every track here, from, from every, you know, melody to melody change to the lyricism to just the the range of josh's vocal performances at that this is how the world ends is one of the crowning achievements of the music scene this year and i just feel so thankful more than anything else for badflower for being just so brutally open and honest even with the understanding that that could have rubbed a lot of people the wrong way number 29 is era descent by silent planet I'm not saying that Silent Planet are the best band in the world, nor are they my favorite, but I will say that there is no band out there that can give you the listening experience that Silent Planet can, and that's not like so exclusive to just Era Descent. That has been the case with Silent Planet ever since their debut record back in 2014. So, you know, we're almost at a decade now of just having this band out there, like kind of looking for us or looking after us, I mean, and... It's kind of crazy, like, when you think about just how many facets of the scene there are to where, like, um, you know, we can look at, uh, certain bands that maybe just, like, don't take the lyrical content of what they're doing too seriously. Like, um, I love water parks, but there is a, a world of a difference between what water parks are doing with their art and then what Silent Planet are doing with their art. Neither is wrong. It's just, they're two different avenues, but I, I think that's really, really cool. Um, so Silent Planet with Era Descent. Um, I, I think there were some questions going into the record about, like, uh, what was it going to necessarily, like, be, or how, not really how was it going to sound, but just, like, um, understanding that 
um, in the like uh, the time between when the end began in 2018 and then Ear Descent now in 2021, the journey of the vocalist Garrett Russell and how he you know left a tour, a European tour for mental health reasons and the uh, uh, effect that treatment had on him like um i personally was very very curious like what that was going to bring to your descent and how that was going to like seep into the lyrical lyrical content um so the record cycle for your descent began this year but if you really really want to go back in time 2020 i think it was february 14th or february 7th one of those two dates to be exact was when trilogy dropped and trilogy is on your descent trilogy was one of those tracks last year that i don't believe i gave like enough time and attention to or at least like the proper amount that a track like track uh trilogy war warranted i'm stumbling i'm sorry um trilogy is really really fucking cool and i hate that i didn't initially realize that back then when it dropped and then you get into the singles rollout that came with your descent announcement like a uh, panopticon terminal anadonia and if you're a Silent Planet fan, I feel like with the, this singles rollout, you were just like reassured that uh, this is still the band you know and love, and you're going to get a record this year that you have every reason to just like hold so close to your heart. Um, a, a lot of the like the intricate details that go into your descent, and I could spend an entire episode of this show talking about the details of Silent Planet releases. Uh, so I'm going to try and like make this as brief as I can while still getting across everything I want to say. Uh, 112 being the, like, intro track. Uh, I mentioned this in the review that I did about a month ago for Ear Descent. 112 is, like, the emergency contact number in Europe for mental health services. So, you know, that is one of the, the ways that this record is able to, uh, relate to what Garrett had gone through previously. Um, in the, the track Alive as a House Fire, uh, they curse for the first time ever. They, they say fuck over and over again at the end of it. Fuck the system. Fuck the system. Fuck the system. Um, it's one of like those, like, I guess, like, uh, shocking moments, uh, for this year in, in scene music. If you go into it knowing that Silent Planet had never, like, gone into profanity in that manner before. But then even outside of just like the lyrical stuff happening here, Era Descent is everything that you can ask for out of Silent Planet. They take that metalcore sound and just like craft it in this very like, um, uh, like chaotic, but apocalyptic kind of fashion that is so unique to Silent Planet. And there's no band out there that can execute this kind of a concept the way that they can. Like all the minds that make up Silent Planet, they were just meant to craft music together. Like this is just the, for all intents and purposes, the perfect band who released a perfect record this year. Um, Era Descent is one of the crowning achievements of the music scene this year. I think, um, like I said earlier, if you're a Silent Planet fan, I don't see how you could have been disappointed or let down or upset with anything that they've done. I mean, maybe you're upset that they said fuck, but like, get over it. Seriously. Um, but yeah, Era Descent was really, really sick. I enjoyed every single second I got to spend with it. Um, it's one of those records though that like, um, I can't just listen to it like as like background noise or just like, um, you know, sometimes I'm playing Overwatch. Yeah, I still play Overwatch. I don't know what you want me to do without that. Um, and sometimes I'm playing Overwatch and I'll just like have music on, uh, in my, my headphones. Um, let's say like a track off of Ear Descent came up uh, during, in, on shuffle while I'm playing. 
I probably wouldn't really be able to listen to it because like you, I have to be in like the right frame of mind to enjoy Silent Planet and ultimately Eerie Descent. But like when I'm in that mindset, I just I, I feel so honored to allow Eerie Descent to just like take control of my brain and just like gloriously manipulate it in all the ways that Silent Planet intended to. Number 28 is Prologue by Static Dress. So there are some records in this top 50 list that I didn't get to talk about on an episode this year, either because it came out too early into the year back when I wasn't doing the weekly show, or it came out in the middle of the year when I had taken like a leave of absence from recording anything for my mental health, or it released too late, as in it came out December 3rd. Literally, uh, Static Dress's prologue is the only record that I didn't get to talk about on this list because it came out too late. So that December 3rd cutoff, I didn't review anything that week, but um, I am saying now that Prologue is the only record from that specific release date to get onto this list. And coming in at 28, I feel like this was as fair of a spot as I could give it since I haven't had all the time in the world as I have the other records on this list to just like let it sit with me and to like really, really uh, let it like shape a character. But at the same time, it's not the kind of a release that really demands that time and attention to like understand what it is. Prologue is like, okay, it's an EP, I would say, but it's more so a soundtrack for a comic book that was released alongside it. And the band really, really wants everybody who listens to Prologue to follow along with the book at the same time, because that is like, that's how they intended it to be experienced. Like it was recorded for the comic book. The comic book wasn't made for the EP. Um, and I think either the band's account or Ollie Appleyard had tweeted that if you're not reading the comic while listening to Prologue, like, you're not taking in the material the way that they would prefer having all of their fans take in said material. Uh, so with respect to that, I, I'm not going to go in depth on like the comic book or what it's about or what it entails because I don't want to be responsible for giving anybody like a reason to not go check out the comic alongside prologue um you know i i try to be again respectful to like the art of music and the way that it's intended to be taken in so if static dress says you need to have the the ep and the comic then you need to have the ep and the comic um what i will say about the ep itself is it's kind of weird because it's like you know we finally have an extended release from Static Dress after the band releasing only singles for a couple years now, yet it still feels like a tease more than anything else. It's a really cool concept and I love that they explored this, but it doesn't fulfill that urge or that need that I have to listen to a Static Dress record because that kind of doesn't exist yet. So Prologue is nine tracks long, Four of those nine can be considered like actual songs and not these interlude parts that tie into the comics lore. Uh, so Disposable Care, Sober Exits, Foreplay is Not My Forte, and Vague. Those are the four songs that I can really single out as being like true static dress material. Uh, Sober Exits I discussed in the Top 100 Songs uh, series. That was 
the only single going into Prologue. Silver Exits is just like another example of Static Dress being, in my opinion, the best band in the world when it comes to that post-hardcore revival sound. Um, and I, I also feel like if Disposable Care had been given singles treatment instead of Silver Exits, Disposable Care would have been the one that made the Top 100 series. Disposable Care is just like so fucking cool and astonishing and it really, really got me into the right frame of mind for this entire journey that Static Dress wants to take the audience on. Uh, four plays on my forte. It's only like a minute long, but in that minute, the amount of like just like chaos and vibrancy that is just, uh, beaming through the headphones, speakers, whatever you hear music on, it's infectious. And it's not a song that you can just like, you know, uh, I guess like, um, you can't mindlessly listen to it. Let me say that. It's a minute long, but that minute just like takes control of you. And then Vague, um, I don't know if this is going to make a lot of sense to people who have heard Vague before, but this is just like what I perceived. Vague reminds me of The Killers. It's still like, you know, an emo song. It still has like hints of post-hardcore, but it is very safe in comparison to what you can hear with like Sober Exits or Disposable Care. But I really, really like that sound for Static Dress. I think Static Dress at this point have really shown that they can kind of just like do whatever it is that they want to and succeed in that instance. So, you know, Static Dress is the kind of band that, you know, I, I want to say years from now, but at the same time, it could just be like within months. Everybody's going to be talking about this band. Everybody's going to know who this band is and everybody's going to have, or I would hope everybody is going to have the reverence and respect for Static Dress that I do. And I cannot say enough good things about what they accomplished so far in their careers. I think Prologue, while not exactly what I wanted out of them, I'm still happy I got it. Number 27 is Earth is a Black Hole by Teenage Wrist. I knew of Teenage Wrist coming into 2021, but I wouldn't say that I was like a fan of theirs or somebody who was like paying close attention to every one of their moves. Uh, but with Earth is a Black Hole, which dropped back in February, what that did for me was show me how like fucking mistaken I was to count this band out and not think that they could deliver something just really, really extraordinarily special. Um, so with Earth is a Black Hole, there were two songs off of here that came out back in 2020, yet had they been 2021 songs, they easily could have been, or not could have, they would have been in contention for the Top 100 Song Series. Uh, the title track, as well as Taste of Gasoline, Taste of Gasoline comes in as a second track, and just like, the way that it's able to just like, um, l like exude this, um, like a shoegaze sound, but mix in so many cool elements of like alternative rock and grunge at the same time. It made for an experience with the record this year that I don't think I got with any other release out of the scene or just any music scene for that matter. Teenage Wrist, like they did not fuck around with Earth is a Black Hole. Everything about this record just took me by complete surprise and I was not expecting to enjoy it like, in any fashion to the level that I ended up enjoying it, and in the time that I've been able to spend with Urza's Black Hole ever since February, my adoration for it has only seemed to grow. Every time I go back to this record, I feel like I'm finding something new to appreciate about it. Um, I mentioned the Top 100 Songs series earlier, 
with regard to Teenage Wrist and like the impact they could have had on that. So Wasting Time did make the top 100 because it was number one in Scenic Overlook the weekend that he dropped. I will say right now, and this is me admitting something that like, you know, I, I, I knew what I was doing, but still, High Again not making the top 100, I, I should be running somebody's fade for that, honestly. High Again had every right to make it in there, and I just like couldn't get it in. It was legitimately the last song eliminated before I solidified the 100, and you know, I will, g going forward, just think like, did I make the right choice? Like, should High Again have been on the list? And at times I'll say yes, at times I'll say no, but either way, I, like, that was criminal of me, but High Again is this just great, 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 great track that takes you on, like, this, uh, not really a roller coaster per se, but just, like, it, it's so, like, um, I guess mesmerizing and hypnotizing in a way that I, I can't think of many songs this year that were able to do to me what High Again did. Um, and once you get to the bridge, the bridge is where that song, like, just fucking explodes and it feels so just, like, colorful while also still muted in that grunge, uh, sector that the record explores. It's just one of the coolest things I got to hear all year long. Earth is a Black Hole was one of the most surprising records of the year, but at the same time, one of the best. I fucking love Earth is a Black Hole. I am I'm so grateful for everything that Teenage Wrist brought to me this year, and I, I now have like this connection to their work that I feel so privileged to be able to say that I have. Number 26 is Loveless One by Loveless. Here is where I will start with Loveless One, because with Earth is a Black Hole, I had just mentioned that there were some 2020 songs on that record that, had they been from this year, would have made my top 100. Uh, so, Loveless One. There's a song on there called Better, and Better dropped April 17th, 2020. If Better came out this year, it honestly could have been my number one song of the year and that's like with no disrespect to my actual number one because i went for 10 minutes last week explaining why that was my song of the year i could have done that with better at the same time better is one of those songs that just like it speaks to me it, it sounds like my adoration for it was just like already built into my blood it's one of those kinds of songs that feels so definitive of not only my music interests and tastes, but also just my life trajectory. And I think Better was like my, it was in my top five for Spotify Wrapped. I can't remember if it was like second or third. I think it was third. I think She Knows it was two and Obsolete was one. Uh, I really, really thought Better was going to be number one because I just feel like I, I heard Better so many fucking times this year. I don't think I, I legitimately honest to God, do not believe I have gone a single day since this record dropped at the beginning of June, not listening to Better. It, 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 any day. Better is one of the best songs I've ever listened to in my life. And I can, I can also understand like why I had that attachment to it. Um, have I mentioned my cats yet on this series? Actually, I have. I, I mentioned Mikasa with uh, that Never Tell record and then also the Galleons one. Um, so after Mikasa's passing... I adopted two new cats. Their names are Levi and Armin. Uh, 
they're sleeping in the room next to me right now. The, the most fucking adorable creatures in the world. Like, I, I love them with all my heart. Um, so Loveless One dropped June 4th, I think was the date. June 7th was when I went to the shelter and I found Levi and Armin and I adopted them. So, uh, this was the record that like really, really stuck with me that weekend. I remember better was the final song I listened to before I got out of the car to go get them. And that made this attachment with the song better than Levi and Armin that I've never been able to shake. It's just always there in my head. Um, and I, I don't mean to just gas up better, like to no end, because I do need to get to the rest of the record. But understand the importance that better has on me this year. I, I, it's even difficult for me to put into words right now. I don't know how I'm doing this or if I'm even doing it well enough. Uh, the chorus of better. I think I hate the pressure, but I measure it to know that it's real. That is kind of like this mantra that I have taken with me throughout the last six months of me knowing about better and listening to better every single day. I think I hate the pressure, but I measure it to know that it's real. I've always kind of been of the mindset that like, if I'm nervous or anxious about something, it's because I care about it. Going into that shelter, I was scared and anxious and nervous out of my fucking mind because I cared. Because I wanted to go find two cats who could use a home and could, you know, as much as I could help them, they could help me. And I really, really feel like that has that is what has happened with Levi and Armin. And, you know, they just mean the world to me. Better means the world to me. I, that attachment with me and Loveless One was made immediately upon hearing better. Um, there were quite a few singles from this record that came out in 2020, but I didn't know about Loveless until this year, so I couldn't really, like, um, the amount of Loveless songs that were in Scenic Overlook would have been greater had this all been from this year. I'll, I'll just go ahead and say that. Um, so, like, I think the opening song on Loveless One, Haunting Me, like, that was a single last year. I'm looking at the singles lineup from last year that ended up making it onto, um, onto Loveless One. You know, Better, For You, Lighthouse, Down Again, Someone Else with Features, Kellen Quinn from Sleeping with Sirens, Haunting Me, like, all these songs were from last year. And then even when you go into 2021, Smile, Anyone, and A Thousand Reasons were also um, new single, or there were also singles from 2021. I don't think anyone was on the record though. So like, uh, exclude that from the conversation, but smile and a thousand reasons smile. I named in the top 100 that did not make scenic overlook because I didn't know about it when it dropped, but had I known about it, yeah, it would have fucking made it. Um, there's so many other elements of loveless one. There's a song on there called control that, um, it has like this, uh, this effect at the beginning of it. I guess it's like a, it reminds me of like a submarine, but I don't think that's what it actually is. But that, like, immediately throws you into this just, like, really cool-ass pit of alternative rock that I felt Loveless kind of achieved better than almost everybody else this year. The chorus on Control is one of those, like, just really catchy and infectious moments that you you can't forget about. And that is kind of what comprises all of Loveless 1. Loveless 1 is one of the catchiest releases of the year. I adore everything about this song, or this record, I mean. Um... I think Julian is one of the heroes of the scene for the year. He is this fucking immense talent that more people really should know about and should be praising because he is one of the standout vocalists of our scene, in my opinion, this year. Just 
so much of Loveless One. The artwork is so fucking cool, man. I, I said Galleons had my favorite artwork of the year. Loveless One is in, like, contention for that as well. Just like the, like that cool, like, um, it's like a two-shaded green background. The, the pink overlay on the woman on the front of it. The, the way that the, the broken heart is like, uh, like the typography for that is really, really fucking sick. I just, God, the packaging of Loveless One was one of the coolest things I got to enjoy all year long. I, I, I feel every bit of this record. And there are many records this year that I feel, but Loveless One, I feel all of it. Okay, so you're just taking a, a quick breather, quick break. Um, alright, so we're about to get to 25, the official halfway mark of the list. If you have made it this far in the series, thank you, thank you so much. Um, this is very much so a different animal compared to the Top 100 Song series, um, but I would like to think that I'm doing a good enough job with explaining why all these records are so important to me so far. Uh, so now we're getting into, like I said, that top 50 percentile. Uh, the records are getting better and better with every entry. And so from 25 onwards, all of these records were changing positions around. So 25 to 21, the rest of this episode, all of them were in the top like 20 to 10 at some point. Uh, some records that aren't going to be in the next episode were initially meant to be for this one. It was just like so much changing shit around, like re-listening to a record and being like, oh man, that's really fucking good. It should be higher or like, oh wait, maybe this should be lower. Maybe this should go above it. Like it's so difficult to rank shit when you really, really just like feel a connection to all of it. It's like ranking babies. Um, but yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and proceed now. Number 25 is Dark and Beautiful Secrets by Normandy. I've known about Normandy for not too long, just maybe like three years at this point, or almost four, actually. Um, so their debut record, In Goose, I think that's how you say it. I wasn't like totally in like a space to uh, attach myself to the band at that point. I just, it was good, um, but I didn't really like uh, go out of my way to be a fan of theirs over that. Uh, White Flag in 2018, that was where I was like, okay... This is actually really, really cool. Um, there's something there. And you can tell off of songs like the title track or uh, Ecstasy, the opener, which is really, really fucking sick. Um, but I was still kind of with the mindset of like, they will be big someday. And I'm going to be a huge fan of theirs someday. I already know that's going to happen. I'm just waiting for the right song, the right record to come along and fully get me invested in Normandy the way that I want to be. Um... August of 2020, the start of it, I think, uh, Jericho got released as the lead single for what eventually became Dark and Beautiful Secrets, which released in February of this year. Jericho was as good and bright of a lead single as any band could possibly craft. Uh, so what Jericho does, I think, is it perfectly kind of leads listeners uh, from White Flag to Dark and Beautiful Secrets. It bridges that gap perfectly for pe for people who are already fans of Normandy. At the same time, Jericho provided this accessibility for those who were not familiar with the band already. So you hear Jericho and then you hear any of the singles afterwards like um, Hostage or um, Holy Water. And 
you have a good idea and a good understanding of like what Normandy we're going to be doing on this record. The first thing that you're greeted with when you press play on Dark and Beautiful Secrets is Babylon, which I mentioned in the Top 100 Song Series. Babylon is, I think, the quintessential Normandy song. Not my favorite on the record, but just like in terms of bringing into one single track all of the elements that make up this band and like what is so cool about them, in my opinion, that's all present on Normandy. Uh, great showing of the band instrumentally. Philip's vocals are just like next level and out of this world on Babylon. Uh, the, the catchiness of the chorus, I want to emphasize now, like, this is a recurring theme all throughout the record. It's not just exclusive to Babylon. Every chorus just, like, you know, feels so, um, like, just the, the layers and the levels to these choruses are something that I think it's easy for somebody who's new to Normandy to be able to latch onto. Um, Jericho, the single I mentioned earlier, that also achieves that with the chorus. Um, the outro to Jericho is one of the standouts of the record, in my opinion. Uh, the song Mission Control does this really cool thing where the verses are like kind of scaled back and it's almost like this electronic dance type of beat going on. And all of that builds to the chorus that it feels like it's meant to just be like, uh, enjoyed in this giant festival setting with just like a bunch of strobe lights beaming everywhere and people losing their fucking minds. It's a really, really cool section. I love that aspect of Mission Control. I think it is one of the brightest songs on the record. Um, and then immediately following that song is Bury Me Alive, which again, talk about it, top 100 song series. Go check it out if you haven't already. Bury Me Alive is my favorite Normandy song ever. I, just adore every single thing about it all the way from the instrumentation to again Philip's delivery on vocals and then just the like the uh the execution of the chorus along with the lyricism I kind of feel like out of everything that I have talked about today and the past two days and then the next two days Dark and Beautiful Secrets is one of those records where you don't need to like if you're not already into the scene you don't need to go out of your way to kind of like acquire a certain taste for Dark and Beautiful Secrets it's just like so easy to get into. It's like the most, or maybe not the most, but it is one of the most like straightforward alternative rock records on this list. Um, there's nothing, uh, like wild about it. There's nothing that is, uh, like there's nothing on here that has the ability to turn people away. I would say, um, it's just so easy to listen to. It's so easy to get lost in. It's one of those records this year that, you know, when I'm finished with reviews and I need something to just kind of like, uh, reset my mind, Dark and Beautiful Secrets is right fucking there. It's so just like, um, I guess like palate cleansing. And I want, I didn't want to say that because I definitely have used that term already and I don't want to just like be this repetitive fucking broken record like I think I am at some point. But just genuinely, the record that Normandy delivered this year is what I have been waiting their entire career for. And I could not be more proud of them. I feel so accomplished in my own right to have a record like this, uh, to be able to just like go back to in my rotation over and over again. Um, and again, because it came out in February, that has given me time at this point, 10 months to just like fall even deeper and deeper in love with Dark and Beautiful Secrets with every listen. And I really think that's going to be kept up all throughout the rest of the year and then the rest of my life. Number 24 is Heaven in Hiding by Eminence. Soul, soul. 
there's probably not too much that I need to say about Heaven and Hiding because it wasn't even that long ago that I talked about it on this show. It was the final album that I discussed for the weekly reviews on the weekly uh, podcast. And I, I said there that Heaven and Hiding was the kind of record that I feel so just like enamored by in the metalcore genre because a lot of times metalcore can have the tendency to like feel the same all throughout the genre, like not much variation, not much innovation. I think Imminence, uh, you know, they deliver both of those qualities in the most grandiose manner you can think of. This is metalcore that feels like opera-like and symphonic in some ways, and that is attributed to the implementation of violins by vocalist Eddie Berg. Um, it's just, like, it's an element that you know, on paper, I think, yeah, violins and metalcore sounds cool, but it totally depends on who's uh, bringing it, who's doing it, and there are a lot of, probably a lot of people who could have fucked up this kind of a uh, a characteristic and made it feel like gimmicky, whereas with Eddie Berg, specifically in Imminence, he is uh, delivering this kind of a sound, this innovation, in a manner that does not feel cartoonish, it doesn't feel gimmicky, it feels like it belongs in Imminence, and I couldn't imagine Imminence at this point without having that extra layer that makes them so unique compared to all the other metalcore bands around them. And even though that is the specific element that I am pointing out as being a highlight of the overall sound for Heaven and Hiding, if you're just here for like the metalcore stuff, you're still going to get what you want. Like the outro to Temptation, that breakdown, it fucking hits. And I was just like so enamored by it from the beginning. I would go back and listen to that breakdown over and over again. And generally, like with Metalcore, I always try to gravitate towards the things that other people wouldn't. But when it comes to Imminence and their delivery on those heavier elements like breakdowns, I'm a fucking sucker for that shit, dude. Like it just, it, it sucks me in. I love it. But at the same time, the melodic sensibility of this band can also not go unnoticed. Uh, so, you know, I have to mention choruses like on Ghost, because that is, you know, one of the most, at least for me, like, sing along moments on any record this year. It's just a kind of chorus that, like, just infiltrates my brain and, like, patterns everything within my, my two existing brain cells around the chorus of Ghost. And it's really fucking sick. Um, the song Alleviate and how that feels like not really like a departure from what's happening with the rest of Heaven and Hiding, but it's this slower track that I think just like kind of takes what is so cool about Imminence and gives it a different spin. And then, um, I gassed up, um, Lost and Left Behind. I fucking hate that I almost forgot the name of that song, uh, a couple times on this show already. And I think that song specifically kind of takes everything I've said about like, the cool nature of the violins and then the heaviness of temptation, the catchiness of ghost, the ambient feeling of alleviate. You put all that together and what you get is lost and left behind. And there's just so much about this record that I feel connected to, despite it still being relatively new. Like this record dropped the day after Thanksgiving. So like not even three weeks yet, I think, but I already feel this attachment to heaven and hiding to where i didn't feel strange about having it in like that top 50 percentile despite it being like one of the or technically the technically the newest album on the list um you know i just i can't get enough of it i go back to it regularly i i love everything about heaven and hiding i feel like i'm only like my, i'm only learning to love it even more with every listen and that's crazy because i already called it perfect back when i reviewed it a couple weeks ago um 
you know, so this is the record that like with um with the other Eminent album from 2019, uh, Turn the Light On, I believe it's what it's called, just off the top of my head without looking it up. That one was cool. I liked it. Heaven Hiding, I fucking love. And it's a record that, you know, it's still fresh in my mind because like how relatively soon it's been since its drop. But even then, say this came out back in like February or March, April, I really do believe I would still be talking about it with the same kind of reverence. It's the kind of metalcore album that I cannot uh, recommend enough because of how much it embraces certain elements that are not so attributed to metalcore, and I really, really enjoy that for Heaven and Hiding. Number 23 is Fragments of a Bitter Memory by Dying Wish. I don't think this is the heaviest record on this list, but it is the record that feels like it hits the hardest, if that makes any sense. There is this certain delivery to everything that Dying Wish did on Fragments that it just like makes me want to just like punch a wall, not like run through a wall, but just fucking punch it, maybe even headbutt it, dude. Like it's angry and you can feel that rage from Emma Boaster and the rest of Dying Wish just immediately when you press play on the opening track. Which has one of my favorite titles for a song of the year, by the way, Cowards Feed, Cowards Bleed. And again, as soon as you click on this song, Emma just fucking screams right into your ear, your demons don't lie, and neither do mine. And then from there, the song just kind of takes on life of its own. It's relatively short, maybe like around a minute and a half. But within that minute and a half span, you are told right away what you're getting through Fragments of a Bitter Memory, whether you're familiar with Dying Wish beforehand or not. And it is the instrumentation and the lyricism that work in unison with each other to craft this just angry and rage-filled atmosphere that encompasses all the fragments of a bitter memory um so take one of the tracks here severing the senses uh i'm gonna read off the chorus i took the blame each time you broke my heart took away from me my everything i will deliver you this letter on your deathbed may these words transcend you to a burning hell and me reading that off genuinely does not do justice to the way that Emma actually delivers those lines. Um, so some of that chorus, it, it shows off like a little bit of what Emma can do when just like providing clean vocals, but then it's her screams that like really, really drive home the, the narrative of severing the senses and then all of fragments for that matter. Um, in the song Enemies in Red, the trade-off happening between Emma and the guest vocalist Brian Garris, who is in Knocked Loose. No patience left, I've come to grips with your neck, my enemies in red. Like, there is no way to just, like, hear this record and not feel everything that Emma and the rest of Dying Wish are putting forth towards you. It is one of just the, again, heaviest, angriest, um, just, like, fucking, um like, commanding records I've ever listened to in my life. Like, it doesn't just make you angry in the sense of, like, oh, I feel what she is feeling. It's like, I want to fucking change this. Like, I want to I want to make a difference in the world so that people don't have to feel what Emma is feeling on this record. I, I have read some things before online provided by the band where it's so easy to, like, understand where this aggression is coming from. Emma speaks on... Uh, at the very least, the title track, Fragments of a Better Memory, about her relationship with her stepfather, who um, 
you know, had like alcohol issues, um, just like demons uh, of that caliber. And the how, how like torn she was over figuring out like what to do and how to approach that. Uh, the band also is from Portland, and it's, it's important to point that out because of uh, the protests that were happening last year in the wake of the like the civil rights uh, movement over the summer after George Floyd's murder. Uh, Emma was actually arrested at one of those protests, and um, that's that's pretty fucking hardcore, actually. Uh, I respect the fuck out of that. Um, th- like again, there's just like so much of what this band has been through that makes up fragments of a better memory, and. I feel like this is one of those albums that, you know, not only because of like how good it sounds, but just also because of what is behind all of these tracks, it's going to stick with me for a very, very long time, probably forever. So I'm not just gassing it up in 2021. I'm probably going to mention it on some shows in 2022 as being like a, a reference point for how to perfectly achieve that sound that combines metalcore with hardcore. Uh, Dying Wish, like they put everything into fragments and... I feel so like honored and privileged to have just been able to hear it. Number 22 is Manic by Wage War. Yes. Wage war. The fucking butt of the joke, wage war. The ripped off doomsday, wage war. The generic band that dropped pressure, wage war. Um, okay, so with wage war, I have never really been like on one side of the argument or the other. I've never been like this, like just a dedicated supporter of wage war, nor have I been of the mindset of like, Oh, this sucks. It's like, uh, you know, watered down metalcore. I kind of like some of what Wage War did on Pressure more than what they were doing beforehand on Blueprints or Deadweight. J- just a, a bit, not to a great extent. I'm not saying like I preferred Pressure over those records. I'm just saying that there were moments on Pressure that stuck with me more than anything beforehand. Uh, namely the line. I think the line is the best wage war song ever made. Um, and then they came out with Manic, and there were a handful of songs that came close to dethroning the line as my favorite from this band ever. Uh, and I wasn't expecting this. I was like, um, I, I went into the record kind of, I don't want to say ambivalence towards what they were doing, but it, it came out on a day that also had Dying Wish, which I just talked about. Um, Asking Alexandria was that day as well, and like I wasn't really like um so interested in that Asking record, but I did listen to it before Wage War because I just kind of uh you know I was more interested in it, whatever. Um, what else? There were other things that happened that day. It, that was a big day, October first. I kind of feel like I remember that. Um, I'm actually gonna check real quick, like, cause now it's bothering me. Like, what else dropped on October first for the scene? Because I do remember it again being a like a pretty stacked day for music. I had a lot of shit to review. Um, okay, so, like, Bill Murray and Andres and Cherry Moore were also on that day, so, like, Wage War having one of the best records of that day, that was unexpected, totally. Um, but it was also the kind of thing where, like, I just had to really sit down and understand, like, hey, they just did that. Like, 
wage war dropped a record that I really, 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 really fuck with, and I can't be afraid to say that. Um, I, I feel like initially with the singles rollout for Manic, I liked the songs, but at the time, I wasn't like totally connected to them. So High Horse is like a good, just straightforward metalcore song that I don't think it's, I don't know if it's meant to do this, but it does, I would imagine, appease those who were so like against Pressure's sound. Circle to Drain and Teeth, I think, did a good job at like letting people know like what was going to be happening on Manic and that it's not a record that is like vastly different from Pressure. Um, there is one area though that I want to like point out as being different from Pressure and I guess different from Manic altogether. Um, the song Death Roll. To me, Death Roll feels like it does for Manic what a song like, uh, Dethrone did for Finding God Before God Finds Me by Bad Omens. It's just like this song that feels so just like driven by the desire for this band to let people know like hey we're still heavy when we want to be like we can still do all this shit that y'all want to or y'all want us to i mean um i think i said when i reviewed this record initially like if i'm ever at a wage war show and death roll comes on like bro like it's it's on site in the pit like we're fucking doing this man um and that's the kind of reaction that death roll just brings out of me um but then like for the people who you know, are not so into like the melodic side of metalcore and were not really on board with what was happening on pressure. There are a couple songs here that are not going to be for you, but they're totally for me. So like the opening song relapse just from that track immediately. Like I was kind of like put into the right frame of mind for manic and what it was going to offer me. Um, there are three specific songs on here that I think just like excel far beyond anything that I could have imagined out of manic. Um, Godspeed, Slow Burn, and True Colors. Godspeed is the one that made the top 100s list, and I still stand by, like, how good that song is. Slow Burn's chorus is so fucking catchy, and the same thing with True Colors. True Colors is uh, the kind of song that, like, it, it never once slows down. It keeps up the energy all the way through, um, but it's done so in a manner that just, like, screams melody and, and hook and rhythms, and I adore it. It, for all those reasons and then just above that just like being a very very good wage war song in my opinion um if tomorrow never comes surprised the fuck out of me and became probably one of my favorite closing tracks of the year and i think that's like um that element surprise it is like spread all throughout manic i was not expecting to love this record to the extent that i do i didn't even know if i was gonna love it i just thought like okay it's gonna be like a at, the, at, at most a decent record and then now i'm sitting all of, sitting here telling all of you like this very well could be my favorite wage war album ever i really really don't deny that possibility it's not even a possibility it's a likelihood honestly manic just achieved so many good things for me personally and i i i don't want to say like i look at wage war totally differently now like you know i uh, it, it's hard because it's like I understand the people who were let down by Wage War on pressure, and I can understand hearing this record and be let down by it if you were so after that sound or that core sound of uh, Blueprint and Deadweight. But just for me, as somebody who embraces the melodic and like pop sensible nature of metalcore, I think Wage War delivered everything that I could have possibly been drawn towards when it comes to Manic. Number 21 is For Those That Wish To Exist by Architects. Yeah, 
So I literally just mentioned with Wage War how the band took a different direction and that kind of alienated some of their audience that were after like that true metalcore sound. Um, so maybe Architects had the biggest case of that happening this year with For Those That Wish To Exist. Um, so just by chance, if there's anybody hearing this who doesn't really know who Architects are, I don't really know how that's possible, but let's just say for the sake of argument and hypothetical scenarios, that is the case right now. Architects is one of the most well-respected and loved and revered bands to ever come out of the metalcore scene. Um, they have inspired so many fucking bands, and that inspiration has become even more evident as the years have progressed through metalcore. Um, so Architects, they're, they were coming off of Holy Hell, which had Doomsday, which is, in my opinion, the best song this band has ever written. And then, like, maybe just, like, um, inadvertently one of the most influential songs ever in metalcore, um, just by virtue of like how many bands like took the riff of Doomsday and like, you know, kind of put their own spins on it, if you want to call it that, uh, Wage War being maybe the most, uh, like notorious case of that. Um, and then with, uh, for those that wish to exist, the record cycle for this began last October when Animals released and Animals, you could hear and just immediately know, like, oh shit, they're doing this. Like, for better or worse, they are doing this. They are, like, not even teetering that line anymore. They are going full force into a new age of this band, and the best reference point I can uh, use right now would be Bring Me the Horizon, like, how they went from There is a Hell to Sepaternal, and, like, you know, that wasn't, like, a... That wasn't, like, that drastic of a move, but it was at least able to let people know like, okay, there could be something even more dramatic coming in the future. And then when that spirit dropped, that was it, man. Like if you were like diehard metalcore and you only wanted that, there was a hell or that suicide season sound out of bring me, you drop the fuck off with that spirit. And I feel like that is kind of what is happening right now. Maybe not necessarily like to that extent, because I feel like there is this uh, element of like respect for architects that maybe makes it difficult for some people to drop them. But just from what I have observed on social media and the reaction to For Those That Wish To Exist, it has definitely happened. There have been people who just look at this record and go like, yeah, it's not for me. I can't do this. Uh, but for me personally, as somebody who even, you know, I like all of those Architects records that like dip heavily into metalcore. Um, for Those That Wish To Exist probably is my favorite Architects record ever. And I understand like how that sounds, but I'm just being truthful to everybody. Uh, there was not a single moment on this record that I was bored. There wasn't a single second of it where I thought like, oh, I don't know about this. Like the journey that Architects took me on, I feel so appreciative to, appreciative to have been taken on that. And it wasn't just animals that like really, really showed what was going to be happening. Black Lungs got singles treatment probably around this time a year ago. And the chorus of Black Lungs is fucking massive. It's one of the best choruses this band has ever written. I love everything about it. Black Lungs is like one of the premier songs on For Those That Wish To Exist. I believe that was going to be the case back in December last year when I heard the song. And I still feel that way now, a year later. So then once you get the record, For Those That Wish To Exist, um, you know, almost immediately with Do You Dream Of Armageddon, what you hear is like this um, atmospheric intro to a record that is probably not going to deliver what you're after if all you want is that straightforward metalcore sound that architects had already spent, you know, the majority of their careers just like refining. 
Um, you know, so you get like black lungs, giving blood, discourse is dead. By that point, like, y- you're going to drop off of this record if you don't connect to these songs. But if you do connect to them the way that I did, you're kind of just sitting there or standing there, whatever you do listening to music, with like your full undivided attention on the voice of Sam Carter and then what's happening around him. Uh, there are some really, really cool features happening here. So, Impermanence features Winston McCall, who is from Parkway Drive. Lil Wonder has Mike Kerr from Royal Blood. And then, Goliath has Simon Neal from Biffy Clyro. I mentioned Lil Wonder in the Top 100 Song series. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite song on the record. I actually, I would have to look, like, really, really listen to that song. And then, Animals and Black Lungs kind of within succession of one another. But, as far as, like, what was brand new from Architects this year, Lil Wonder, to me, is, like, the highlight of all that. Um... There's a song on here, Flight Without Feathers, that I, so, it's weird because it's like, a part of me wants to say like maybe it could have been shorter considering the, uh, like the atmospheric sound that it explores, and I don't know if it needs to be like almost four minutes long to get that point across, but at the same time, the song is just really, really good and I cannot get enough of it. I don't look at the time when I'm listening to it and like, oh, when is it going to end? Flight Without Feathers, it like really really just like adds this whole new dimension to architects and ultimately for those that wish to exist um the catchy nature of the courses and the hooks for architects have never shined brighter than they do on for those that wish to exist um so the song demigod it has like this weird chorus that feels like it's like kind of increasing in pitch with every few uh seconds but it's really not and it's just done in again like this really really weird elaborate manner that I was immediately drawn to when hearing that track. Um, the closing song, Dying is Absolutely Safe, is like this acoustic song that mixes uh, like symphony elements, and it's carried largely by Sam Carter's vocals, but like, I could hear uh, Sam Carter carry songs all fucking day, dude. Like, he is genuinely one of the best vocalists I have ever had the honor of listening to, the honor of being a fan of, and I feel like that is just kind of what I want to leave this record off on. I feel honored and privileged to have been able to hear it. I know, like, you know, there are people out there who just don't fuck with it and they have the reasons for it, and that's fine. I'm not going to judge you if you don't like this. I'm not going to be all like, oh, you, you, how can you not like this? Like, no, I get why you don't like it, and that's fine. I don't agree with it, but it's okay. Like, you know, you, you do you, man, I'll do me. We'll rock like that, and it's it's cool, you know? Shit would be boring if we all had the same opinions on stuff anyways. Um, but yeah, for those that wish to exist, great record. Uh, Architects sounds good now as they ever have. I don't feel any shame in saying that. And that's kind of going to be where I leave this episode off on. That's going to do it. So, you know, those were my 30 to 21 uh, picks for the top 50 records of the year. Come back tomorrow and I'll be talking about records 20 to 11. And then Friday, the finale, the top 10 records of 2021. So I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and cut it off here. I don't really have much else to say. And you've all been here long enough anyways, listening to me, uh, putting up with my, with my shit. Actually, no, I have one thing to say real quick. It's something to do with music. So if you don't care about this, whatever. Uh, Steph Curry, the fucking man, three-point god, love to see it. Uh, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this part. And as always, for better or worse, let's make a scene. Yeah!